Hey everybody, it's Connor. Welcome to another amazing episode of Drama with Connor and Dylan McDowell, your favorite twins on the entire planet. And because we're your favorites, we know you can't get enough of us and you want even more. And I've got it for you, Drama Plus, which is the name of our Patreon, which is our bonus content platform, where for $5 a month, you donate to support the podcast. We can keep churning out these lovely interviews, chats, episodes, specials with you. And in addition to supporting us, we give you the goods. You get access to our Instagram close friends and you get multiple bonus episodes a month where Dylan and I chit chat with each other about all the fun, scintillating, sizzling, Broadway, pop culture, personal life drama that you're craving. All right. Well, thank you for finding us. Enjoy this episode and go to patreon.com slash the drama podcast for more. All right, on to the show. Press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, Ooh drama. drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got nom? They option no. Oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. Drama. Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life. I am Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. Hey, Dylan. Happy almost Thanksgiving. Yes. The season of gratitude. You know, I always, I think I say this every year on the podcast. I am someone who practices gratitude year round. You are. You're so good at that. You always Mm -hmm. have been. Yeah. But... I'm feeling extra grateful this year for a lot of things. Because I've been better about helping you with pod-related things? That is a big one. That is <laughs> definitely a big one. I, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, it's been a crazy year, like, in the world, personally, professionally. I just think it really makes you reprioritize what's going on in your life. And you're like, oh, well, you know what? I do have it really good. I, you know, I'm healthy. I'm X, Y, and Z. You're so good at reminding me of that too. And I'll call you and I'm super stressed and you're like, Connor, but you're healthy and well, and you can walk (laughs) to and from your, you know, things like that. Like you're so good at telling me, reminding me. I do feel though, I don't mean to minimize your problems though. When I say that, I just, it's just like a gentle reminder. Yeah, you don't, you you don't. Well, I'm especially thankful this year that the SAG strike has been resolved. A fair deal. Yes. You know, as we are not SAG members yet, <laughs> we we, di- we definitely haven't like had to like, you know, hold our tongue when talking about any projects or anything like that that's going on. But out of respect, we have definitely done our best. But Well, sure, because on the podcast, out. all of our guests have typically been in some, most of everyone has been a member of SAG. So mm-hmm. we've withheld on talking about certain projects, but I'm excited mm-hmm. that we can finally talk about things again, you know? Yes. I do want to give a shout out to our friend Isabel, who organized all of the SAG strikes that happened in New York City. And she worked so hard over the last, what was it, 117 days or something like that? Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to Isabel. She's amazing. And I'm especially excited for something else this year that I'm thankful for, but I think it'll be my dose of drama. Okay. So I'm going to save my my thankfulness for the end. But Dylan, I'm also thankful for our guest because Mm. this kind of happened in a magical way where we saw them in a show, saw them after, ran into them, and Mm -hmm. then connected online. And I just, I'm so happy that it it just felt like all the dominoes kind of fell into place. So do you want to read the intro and bring her in? Our guest today is currently starring on Broadway in Here Lies Love in a role that she originated at the public theater 
and received a Lortel Award nomination for Outstanding Featured Actress in a Musical. A boundless talent, this queen also appeared on Broadway in Dr. Zhivago, as well as in countless regional and international productions, such as Merrily We Roll Along, South Pacific, A Christmas Carol, A Little Night Music, The Theory of Everything, and Butterfly, Viet Gone, Nightmare Alley, and so many more. Our guest has made her mark as a crossover performer, having appeared on television in Call Me Cat, Mom, This Is Us, NCIS, The Kaminsky Method, Rizzoli and Isles, Modern Family, Gotham, Desperate Housewives, and beyond. She graced the silver screen in Easter Sunday opposite Joe Coy, Untold, This Is My Story, and Swearing. And she most recently appeared in a workshop of Stephen Schwartz's The Queen of Versailles musical with Kristen Chenoweth. She is a fierce advocate for Filipino representation in the arts, and we are thrilled to have her on the pod today. Please welcome to drama, Melody, Melody Boutier. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Hi, Melody. How are you doing today? Hi. Are you well? Uh, I am well. I am well. It has been an emotional time these last few weeks. But ultimately, like you said, I'm, I am so grateful. I have so much to be grateful for. And um, so I'm happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to meet you. Like Dylan said, when we saw the show, I mean, first of all, you were giving and here lies love <laughs> but it was you were just giving this empathetic performance that i know aud- every single audience member connected with and i mean you made me cry and the show truly moved me as we were standing we were moving around the set yes. but i remember at the curtain call final number i don't know if it's part of the finale or if it's a curtain call you know however it's identified in the show but you were crying at the end and i I look i remember looking over at you and just i felt this rush of emotion and it it meant so much to me seeing how much it meant so much to you and i just thank you for your performance and i'm just (laughs) thrilled to have you here today Thank you. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. Sometimes the show makes me more emotional than is necessarily good for the storytelling. (laughs) Or even just, you know, uh, sometimes I have to be reminded like, hey, let's read it back because let other people feel. (laughs) But, you know, and I'm really like, I'm trying hard not to like lose it. But, but sometimes seeing the audience reactions, seeing, seeing how, um, how people are affected and just knowing like how much the story means to me and to be able to tell it, I I do get a little overwhelmed sometimes. That's, that's so (laughs) understandable. Yeah. I was curious about what exactly it is that evokes such emotion in you, but you just answered it. So yeah. (laughs) It's everything, basically. (laughs) It is. I mean, and it's been such a huge part of my life, too, this this story and this journey. Even prior to the production at the public, I actually sang on the demos as David Byrne was writing it. So this is all the way back in 2005. So many, many years ago, like when some of our cast members, our current cast members were toddlers. So um, <laughs> I, I do have a long history with it, but I take a lot of pride in in telling the story and celebrating the strength and resilience of, of our people. And so it means it means a lot to me when people uh, receive that. Oh, that is gorgeous. That's so beautiful. What? Was your initial involvement to end up on the demos with David Byrne? 
so David was writing it and he, they were casting like a, a concert version of the project for the Adelaide Festival in Australia. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, Ralph Pena, who is the artistic director of my Yee theater here in New York, he emailed me the breakdown and said, you should, you should audition for this. And I was in California. But I read the breakdown and I said, I looked at the description of Australia and I was like, oh, I'm supposed to play her. I'm supposed to play her. And I don't know what it was about, about the character or, but I was just like, I think I should do this. And so I flew to New York and I auditioned and I got cast. And in doing so, they then brought me out to sing on some of the demos, which then evolved into the concept album that came out, I believe, in 2010-ish. And with, you know, Cindy Lauper and Natalie Merchant and Steve, or like so many incredible people in, involved in just the concept album. So I sang on the demos, but then as it got closer to the actual concert, they ended up changing producers and then the budget changed and then they couldn't bring all the people that they cast. So I actually ended up not doing the concert, but I was on the demos. And when the concept album came out, I, they sent me, they sent it to me in the mail and I was thanked in the liner notes. And it was like just something that I held on. I was like, that's a, that's great. Like I was part of this, even in a small way. And then when, when the production at the public was being developed by Alex Timbers, they had three prior workshops, uh, the, the one prior to the production was in Mass Mocha. So every workshop that happened, my agent would kind of reach out and and say, hey, Melody's interested, Melody's available. But because I lived in California, it was always like, oh, this is just a short workshop. And so we're not going to fly anyone out or, oh, you know, we're just going to hire locally right now. And and I understood. I understood. And then when the actual production was auditioning, I was like, you know, I'm flying. I'm flying out there on my own dime. I want to do it. I want to audition. And then it came full circle, came back again. So, so I was very, very grateful to be part of it. Oh my gosh. What an amazing story that you continue to pursue it because I mean, they, they could have moved on, you know what I mean? But you continue to mm-hmm. remind them I'm that person that you had originally on the demo. So yeah. now yeah. Australia, her song, were they always the same songs? from that demo or have they changed over the years? They have evolved. Yeah. I think the original concept album focused primarily on the relationship between Australia and Imelda. Sugar Time Baby (laughs) now used to be a song called Never So Big. And that was an, that was Australia's song. And then there were other songs describing the life that they had, but that, evolved as the sh- as the show was being developed to include more of Nina Aquino's story, the political rivalry, and then the people power revolution, which I think is important and, and is the history that needs to be told. So it went from a very kind of personal, like microcosm and perspective shifting to to something that was was bigger and necessary, I think. Now, how familiar were you with the story of the Marcos family and everything like that. I mean, it, it's a story that I certainly only knew of Imelda Marcos from her portrayal on RuPaul's Drag Race when Manila Luzon played her in the Snatch Game. <laughs> and it was the thing with the shoes and all that. And so I yeah. didn't know anything. I didn't even know that she was polarizing. You know, how familiar were you? Because you're Filipino-American, correct? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. How, how familiar were you with the whole background yeah, I was born in, in the U.S., but I, I remember seeing when Ninoy Aquino was assassinated, and I remember seeing that on the news and how my 
like the world, but also my family was like glued to the screens, to the TV to find out what was going on. And my parents left in this, they left the Philippines in the seventies during, during the Marcos regime. Because of it? Because of, because of the Marcos regime. And there were, you know, I have a cousin who, I have several cousins who were activists against, against the Marcoses, one who was put in jail. And then because we had an uncle who was high up in the military, uh, they were able to get her out, you know, so there's a, I, I remember hearing bits and pieces, but I was quite young. And so I didn't understand all of the history and I didn't necessarily understand the impact of the dictatorship. But I do remember seeing it on the news. I, and and the awareness in the U.S. really was about her shoes, about the mm-hmm. excess, which wasn't really discovered until after they fled or wasn't made big news until after they fled. And and so our show stops before, you know, like right at their, their, um, exile from Malacanang Palace. So, so that's why we don't even really talk about the shoes in the show because it's yeah. really so much more to the story. And then I remember, you know, when Cory Aquino was elected. So Ninoy's widow was elected the first female president of the Philippines. I remember watching that happen and, and being aware of that. So a, a little bit, but obviously, also learned so much during during the process. Now, what were you able to find out about the real Australia? Like, she was a real person. She was a real person. And yeah. there's very little, but she had, so she had been interviewed by Carmen Pedrosa in a kind of unauthorized biography about Imelda Marcos, which then the Marcoses did not want released. And, and, and so she was from my understanding, kind of put under house arrest for for speaking. And that's covered in the show. Yeah, essentially. It, because essentially. because in, in the show, it's kind of, it's shown as an inter, like a TV interview, but really it was right. for a book. And Carmen Pedrosa, the journalist or the writer, she and her family then escaped because of fear for, of retribution from the Marcoses. So they, I think they ended up settling in Saudi Arabia. And then her daughter mm-hmm. also then became a journalist. So as far as what happened with Australia after that, there's not a lot of information, but the the bits of information that, that David got to in the development of the character was from Carmen Pedrosa's book. Wow. You are like blowing my <laughs> mind right now with all of this behind the scenes yeah. to it. So thank you for giving us that little history lesson as well. Yeah. It's, it's not, to keep, not, not to keep digging into history. So when mm. you finally got to actually put on the show at the public, mm-hmm. what was that experience like for you? Like, what do you remember most about it? Oh my gosh. I, I mean, it was, it, it was an incredible family that we've created that we still hold near, like some of my dearest and closest friends I made on this show and putting something up that Really, like when I got it, I was, I was so thrilled. I was like in my driveway in California and I got the call and I like crumpled to the ground because I was so, 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 so excited. But also I was like, I don't actually know what this is. <laughs> like I knew some of the music and I knew I would love, I wanted to work with David and Alex, but I don't really know what it is. Like when you think, disco about Imelda Marcos, you know, it doesn't look good on paper. 
I mean, I was like, because there was, we weren't given a script. We weren't given a text. Like when there, it was, it's mostly sung through. So when we auditioned, we were given a monologue that was actually pulled from, from the Imelda documentary, which is where the, where, where the phrase here lies love comes from. And that, that documentary came out in 2003. And, and so there was, there's this just, crazy bananas monologue that Amelda had. And so even though I was auditioning for Australia, we all had this monologue from Amelda where she's talking about technology and binary code and destiny and like her brain just kind of goes uh, like on this, on these weird tangents. So that was the text that I had. And so I was like, but that's not actually in the show. So I don't really know what I'm signing up for, but let's just (laughs) go. And yeah. the process, and, and I know that they had previous workshops and they had the workshop at Mass Mocha where they did have moving stages and things like that. So I know that they had, had been developing it for a bit and had the concept at hand. I just, I just was a little blind going in uh, as far as like what the actual piece was. But, you know, David was incredibly open and, and collaborative and wanted to make sure that he was, he was getting things right. And, and there were so many people in the cast who were, who were very, you know, vocal and collaborative and, and it was incredible. And, and I was just so inspired by so many, so many people past, present, you know, throughout the process who blow me away in, in every single, in, in every single way. So. So it's it's been it's been very special, yeah. Imagine. And has Alex Timber's vision always included the moving yeah. stages and like the idea of a dance floor? Okay, because yeah. I know there's like legends of people who saw it at, at the public, and it was truly cutting edge at the time. And I mean, the, even this Broadway run has been—I've never heard of anything like it on Broadway before. So it is definitely the first of its kind on Broadway. Mm-hmm. But it's so—it it is funny when people are like, "I've never seen anything like this." Like, but it's very. It, that's what we did at the public. It was very much based, like the staging on the dance floor is what we had. We had moving platforms, we had shifting, you know, we had the blender, we had the runway, yeah. you know, all of those things were elements of the show and, and the projections all around. And so it went from at the public, I think we had maybe 150 to 200 people on the dance floor and then one row of gallery seating. And now it's like five times that size. I know. <laughs> I mean, with everything, you know, um, I think mm-hmm. that's that's been one of the biggest challenges too, is just it is such a big, big space. But I do feel like Alex has worked so hard to make it feel intimate, to make it feel like even if you are up in the mezzanine or further back in the mezzanine, that you are invested in leaning into the show. Yes. Yeah. I can see the elements when, you know, watching it, like there's action up there as well. Mm-hmm. That, that certainly takes place, but I don't think I'd want to experience it anywhere other than. The, than the it is world. definitely yeah. a different show from every angle. And it's my partner has seen the show so many times. And so he's seen it from the, like the back row in the mezzanine and he's like, it's still so great, but they have like jumbo, jumbo screens, you know, jumbotron kind of screens where you yeah. see a lot of the intimate camera work and a lot of close-up camera work and visuals that people on the floor don't get to see. So it is it's a different experience each time, but we do have so many people who see it from the mezzanine and then they're like, "Okay, now I want to see it from the dance floor." So, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
So cool. Thank you so much for sharing a lot about your experience. I'm super bummed that the show isn't going to continue running longer because I feel like there is an audience for it. And like we said, there's nothing else like it on Broadway. So it's such a shame. And I'm really glad that I got to catch it. And I hope, you know, this is coming out before the show's closing. So I hope everybody is going to run to the Broadway theater and go see it. Come see us. Come experience it. It it is closing on November 26th. And we are... it's it's uh it's heartbreaking. I do wish that it that we had a little more of a runway, a little more of more time to continue to find to find its audience. You know, because I have friends who come who've never seen the show, and they're like, I was not prepared. I had no idea what I, what I was expecting, and even and that's even from seeing like trailers or seeing pictures. They're like, I still had no idea what I was in for. And, you know, while it is a party, while there is spectacle and lights and so much going on, it also has so much of heart and so much uh, uh, of a message of how important democracy is in the fight for democracy and people people fighting to make their voices heard. And uh, I feel like that's a message that especially now it, it, it resonates in a different way than even 10 years ago. Wow. You worded that beautifully. And that certainly was the takeaway that we had. I've talked to people about it and they're like, well, it's kind of a controversial story. I don't know. Am I going to walk away sympathizing with, you know, the Marcoses? And I'm like, no, when you go see it, that is not the lingering mm-hmm. takeaway yeah. at the end of it. It's exactly what you just said, Melody. Yeah. So, yeah. It's tough yeah. because I, I get it. People who know the history might feel like, why are they telling this story? But it's the importance of not forgetting the history, especially now that Bong Bong Marcos, Imelda and Ferdinand's son is currently the president. You know, it's like history is repeating itself and we do not want people to forget. And there are there are academics who think, okay, but are they telling it correctly or are they telling it? You know, but it's it is art. It is it is not a news. This is not journalism. It is art. But we Mm -hmm. have so much history on our website. We have dramaturg like we we have had dramaturgy days where we were digging into the history we were going through first person accounts we have research assistants who who have put together incredible material based on interviews articles that help to enrich our storytelling and the idea that they're like oh you know people who who fear that we are glamorizing the marcoses they were glamorous. They were they popular. Were. <laughs> they charmed people. That was their power, their storytelling and their way, the way they manipulated their biography to inspire people to vote for them. They're that kind of populist leaning, strong arm politics that people bought into because they were hearing everything that they wanted to hear to the point that they turned a blind eye when their rights were starting to be taken up taken away or mm. when when the people in power stole billions of dollars and and tried to shut down journalists and tried to shut down opposition and you know shut down the supreme court like all of the things that they did it, the atrocities the the tortures the the imprisonments they were democratically elected they were incredibly mm-hmm. powerful so the way the show is structured is to take you on that journey of being charmed by these 
characters by these politicians and then what happens when when the rug mm. is pulled out from under you so it is meant to to take people on that journey to to kind of make them like rock stars because that's that's how popular they were and then remind people how important it is to to really be aware of of what's going on i mean and there's certainly a history through broadway of of taking historical figures and making them seem one way or another. I mean, Evita is a prime example of history that was called wrong and she was literally a Nazi sympathizer, but that's a whole other uh, story. Yeah. Patty Lapone came to visit us this weekend too. Yeah, she did. She did? Did you get to meet her? Yes, yes. And she actually came to see the show 10 years ago too. And I've like pulled up an old <laughs> picture of us, took a picture with a cast um, in the green room and, and, and did talk about like understanding that there might be criticism or there might be resistance to the stories that we're telling. But she's like, but it is history. History and it's history that mm-hmm. needs to be told. And so, you know, she's like, when are you guys closing? And we said November 26th. And she's like, why? Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm like, I know, I don't know, you know. Yeah. Um, oh. But yeah. Oh, well, wow. I, you know, having seen, I mean, you were in, was it a Seattle production of the, of mm-hmm. yeah, it's Seattle rep. Mm-hmm. Maybe there'll be a tour or a, a West Coast from, you know, <laughs> I hope that there's more life beyond. Because Broadway isn't the be end all be all certainly, but it is the biggest stage for you know musical theater mm-hmm. that we have right now. But I certainly think that this story will continue to be told and and grow and and maybe you'll be a part of it. But if not, your your stamp is on the legacy forever. So. <laughs> I, I mean, I, this and then also more stories. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's the thing. It's like we o- only wanted to encourage voices to be heard and so many Filipinos were involved not just in the cast but on the producing team on the creative team and we all take ownership of the story that we're telling and we want it to be a stepping stone a a door opening for so many more creatives that are and have been telling Filipino history Filipino American history you know we want those stories to be told and um, we want those those voices to be valued as well as as part of the fabric of American history. Because it very much, you know, is our history at the same time. You know, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, you're, you yourself, you know, American, you know, it's, we all share it then. Yeah. But even, even this story, even though it's set in the Philippines, it is intrinsically tied with us history and us domination. You know, it was, it was a us colony. You know, the fact that there are so many Filipinos in the United States is because we, because y'all, because the us was in the Mm -hmm. Philippines you know and 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 reagan was the one who helped them exile and they settled in hawaii and you know first to guam and then hawaii they were the ones to help them escape and even now you know the u.s government still has a stake in keeping the military bases open in the philippines and you know because bong bong is now the president to kind of keep up that relationship while forgetting the history that's happened you know to just Mm -hmm. keep trying to move to move forward and keep up that that tie that that tie in the east. So, I don't know. It is a story about the Philippines, but it is so relatable, but it is also very much tied to US history. Definitely. Well, thank you for being a part of this chapter of it and telling the story here. It's, it's I was seriously blown away by you. I mean, you're you have this ballad and the second act this power ballad in the second half of the show that completely blew my mind and you're just so powerful in the way you were able to communicate the story 
we are kind of curious about where you're, you found your voice and maybe how you found your love of the arts. We call it the ring of keys moment. Yes. I don't know if you're familiar with the musical fun home, but there's Absolutely. a song in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, you know, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love ring of keys. <laughs> Do we take it and apply it to like theater or the arts? Do you feel like you had a moment that maybe you, you thought to yourself, Oh, this is for me. Um, yeah. So I got into musical theater in high school. Primarily. I was always kind of told like when I was younger auditioning for like school musicals and stuff, like in elementary school that I was not a good reader and I should just stick to singing. So I always thought that, oh, musical theater is, is my thing. But I do remember when I was a freshman in college at UC San Diego, there was an Asian American theater company called the Here and Now that performed and they were made up of uh, performers from all over Southern California. And they were telling Asian American stories. It was like a lot of sketches and, and different scenes. And I just remember seeing a, a stage full of Asian people and just going, Oh my goodness. Like it was, it was really, it was really eye opening because it made me feel like I got into theater because I liked it and I, I enjoyed it. But like that moment really made me feel like, Oh, I could do it and telling the stories from their perspective like it just made me feel like like when you see yourself and you feel seen like that's the thing I just want people to feel seen and it they made me feel seen and so that was my freshman year and I joined the theater company they were Based, they were rehearsing in Pasadena at Occidental College. And I happened to be staying in Pasadena with my brother that summer. So I auditioned and I worked with them. And then we would just go on weekends. We would travel to different universities around the country and perform for Asian American conferences or, you know, different things like that. And it, it was just really where I found my voice as an Asian American performer and as a storyteller beyond singing, beyond musical theater, and to create characters and and tell stories with other Asian Americans was really exciting and really exciting for me because I I remember there was one one scene that we did where we were just kind of telling stories about childhood and and I was telling a story about my mother who had passed away when I was a teenager and it was just kind of like a simple story about about <laughs> about how long my hair was and how she loved to braid it but then after she got sick my aunt cut it all off cut my hair off because I didn't know how to take care of it myself. And I saw a kid in the audience, this guy just kind of drop his head and it just started bobbing. And, and I was like, I didn't, I didn't know who he was. It was like a sea of people. And I just saw this one guy just like nod his head and bob. And um, the next day we were doing a workshop with some of the students and he came up to me and he said, I wasn't planning to come to this conference, but my mom, my mom passed away a couple of weeks ago and I wasn't planning to be here, but I'm so glad I came because you just, your story touched me and made me feel that I wasn't alone. Mm. And it was like, it was such a like simple storytelling exercise, but it just made me feel like my experience connected with this kid that I had no, like, I didn't know he was like, we think we were in North Carolina or something. Mm -hmm. And to just know that the power of just sharing, sharing my story connected with him in that way, just, just made me feel like, oh, okay, this is really what I want to do. This is what I want to do. 
Oh my god, Melody. Connor and I are wiping <laughs> I'm the tears. literally crying. <laughs> I'm crying. <laughs> I mean, that is so beautiful. That's probably the most profound Ring of Keys moment I've ever heard because oh it, my it, god. it really so powerful. And you saw firsthand it clicking for yourself. Like that is oh, that's so you can't replace something like that, you know? Yeah. That's so special. And I'm sorry about your mom. Yeah. Art can really transcend, you know, yeah. and heal. Yeah. It really, it really can. And it's, it's healed me. Like there have been moments where I have felt healed, where I have felt seen, where I have felt like not alone, you know, and, and that is, that is such a profound power of what we have as artists. Even with this show, when you see Filipinos like raise the Laban sign, which means fight, (laughs) you know, put their hands up in the shape of an L and it means fight. It moves me so much. And we had a woman in line a couple of weeks ago who's 75. She was celebrating her 75th birthday. And she came to the show with her daughter and her granddaughter. And they said, you know, this is her 75th birthday. And she was at EDSA, like our Lola was at EDSA. And and the woman, you know, talked about her experience. And her daughter said, she said, I was five when she went to the Edsa revolution, which is when all the people gathered in the center of the, mm-hmm. of the square. And, and she said, I remember my mom leaving and saying, I don't know if I'm going to come back. And the mom said, the Lola, she's, she's like, cause it's the Marcuses. We didn't know what they were going to do. We didn't know if the military was going to come, but we knew we had to go. We knew we had to go. And, and for them to like be there and share their story with us in the, in the stage door line was just so incredible. It was Mm -hmm. such an incredible experience. Yeah. Do people ever tell you that you remind them of like a family member they had or anybody like that when you're seeing the show? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. (laughs) They're just like, oh, oh, like my mom or my aunt or yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I have that very kind of maternal. energy you do i'm like trying to collect myself <laughs> melody and i can't these back yeah. you did this to me in here lies love too i don't know what it is you just you have such a this uh genuine spirit about you that when you're emotional i feel like connected you know i, I know audiences feel it too now the here and now is what it, the here and now is called yeah here and now yeah is it still active i think it is i think it is i'm not I haven't seen them perform in a while, but I know they, they, they've been around for a long time. John Miyazaki was the artistic director. So I don't know if he's still doing it. I'm not sure, but it was, it was made up primarily of college students. And then we would perform around the country. We would just literally fly to like different parts of the country for youth colleges, universities, conferences, and things like that. And we would perform on the weekends and then we'd come back and then I'd go back and, oh. and go to school, you know, and wow. I was <laughs> so tired. Like by Sunday night, I get home and I crawl into bed and <laughs> My roommate in college, like she complained all the time because I was like so dead tired. I would just like oh, deep yeah. snore. And she and she was like a swimmer. She had to get up really early in the morning and she would throw <laughs> things at me. Just like, I can't believe it. You're so loud. I'm like, I'm so tired. I'm sorry. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh my God. I'm, I'm curious about your Broadway yeah. debut in Dr. Zhivago, a, a short lived but, yes. but sort of cult following very- show. Yeah, there's oh, people really? every year. I feel like there's people at the Broadway flea market on the hunt. Speaking of the flea market, for merch from Doctor Zhivago. Oh, 
Oh my gosh. What led to that, that being your debut? I was doing Here Lies Love in 2014. And then my agents just sent me on this audition and I played Kubarika who I had like a, a great little dramatic scene with with Dr. Zhivago, Tamutu. And yeah. and basically I was a victim of the war and I my children, I lost my children and and I was like at the end of my rope and he was trying to talk with me and I ended up committing suicide on stage. So oh like I, I had a knife, I had a prop knife and I sliced my neck and I had a prosthetic neck oh my God. <laughs> with, with like blood that came out. And I had like a little, a little pump that are, or like a little switch that I had to flick when I, when I sliced my neck and then all this blood came down. It was, it was, it was a lot. That it is was, so cool. Was the audience shocked to see it every night? I think so. <laughs> yeah. It was a very memorable moment. I I remember meeting someone. Actually, I think it was just this last year, several months ago. I went to grad school with John Andrew Morrison, who oh, wow. um, was in Strange Loop and nominated yeah. for Tony. And so I had gone to see Strange Loop and we went out for drinks and he had a couple of friends there. And one of them was like, where have I seen you before? And then his other friend was like, here lies love. He's like, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. And then like several minutes later, he was like, did you slit your throat on stage in Dr. Shabaka? <laughs> and I was like, do you remember that? And he was like, oh, it's, it was very memorable. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, oh, that's wild. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. An iconic <laughs> Broadway debut. And so you you've also been workshopping the Queen of Versailles musical, the Stephen Schwartz, Kristen Chenoweth piece that yeah. what you've been doing double duty here the michael arden michael arden directed michael right? arden yeah mm -hmm. he directed me in merrily we roll along um actually in los angeles at the yes. wallace annenberg and so when they did like one of their very early first readings of like a portion of the first act they were doing like a two-day two-day thing with a with a one-day reading and they just reached out and and asked if I would if I would be part of the reading I've since done a few more workshops after that we did like a zoom reading and then we did another workshop back in January February around then and then most recently, they had a workshop in May, which I could not be part of because we were in rehearsals for Here Lies Love. But then this most recent October workshop, I was able to be a part of it. So I play a combination. It's based on the documentary Queen of Versailles, a film by Lauren Greenfield and centers around Jackie Seagull and her husband, David, who is like the king of timeshares in in the u.s and uh and their efforts to build the largest residential home in america based and inspired based on the palace of versailles in france and so it, <laughs> it it's an examination of excess and wealth but also you know what is that need for always wanting more and i play a character based on a couple of the different um, nannies uh, on their staff Marissa and Virginia, who I actually got to meet because they they came to see Here Lies Love oh with gosh, Jackie cool. and, a, and a big group. So I got to meet them, and it was really it was really awesome. It was really sweet to meet them, and 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 I'm I'm really grateful to uh, again play a Filipino nanny, another nanny, yes. but giving voice to that, mm -hmm. especially in a world of so much opulence and access, to give voice and. Um, to the humanity of the people who help so who help support support their life and, and mm -hmm. uh, help raise their children. 
So, wow, so I'm yeah. not too familiar with the uh, the film or anything. I'm not either. But... So, what, oh what, yeah, is, you said her name is is her name Jackie? Jackie Siegel. Jackie mm-hmm. Siegel. I know that this documentary has such a following. People are obsessed with it. I need up. I need to watch it probably tonight. But yeah. Is she involved? <laughs> has she been like involved at all in the musical? She she is. I mean, not in the sense that she's not like always in the room, but she, you know, it is about her. So she's she definitely is is part of it. And as well as the like when we did the reading, she was at the final reading that we did. And then as as well as Lauren, Lauren Greenfield, the filmmaker. So they were so they were both there. And it's interesting because I think as it was developing, because it goes beyond uh, what's covered in the documentary and it goes into a lot of kind of some personal and and tragic parts of her life too. You know, I think it was, it was interesting to see how, how tonally it was going to develop and, and it just keeps getting better and better every time. Like it's exciting. I don't think I'm giving anything away. No, I don't don't think you are. I'm like, so good about teasing it. (laughs) Yeah. Can you tell us anything about the music? Like what, what sort of style is the Schwartz is dipping Uh, into? It's stunning. It's big. Big beautiful choral numbers, and then and then obviously Kirsten Chenoweth leading is so fantastic. Um, the way that she tackles a role that can be seen as shallow, mm-hmm. you know, it, but it's but it's not. Like she's so she gives she infuses her with such a strength and determination and a sense of surviving, but also just gives the role an incredible amount of depth. And so it makes you it makes you root for her, but also feel for her. And and that's a testament to who Kristen is as an artist. And then the music is just there's it's just it's fun and gorgeous, gorgeous singing. The cast that we had at the at the workshop like every single person just blew me away like just just full of stars so oh you know gosh. it's it's pretty incredible love it oh, it's highly anticipated for me i know i know there's going to be life with this team involved there's got to be something that happens <laughs> next and so. I, I hope you move with it too because thank you oh so exciting especially to be a part of something original i, I feel like that's probably just that's my it. jam yeah, yeah i love working on new on new pieces i love i love being part of like new play workshops you know new readings with here lies love and and then with queen it's those are musicals but i also i've done so many plays and and new plays and world premieres and and all of that just being able to dig into the characters ask questions help in the just kind of the developing and the storytelling like all of that is is really very exciting to me and you know sometimes people are like oh you know what's your what's your dream role and like having to think of like things in the past but like for me it's always it's always moving forward and, and developing new stuff that's always really exciting to me because oftentimes it's their characters that I haven't seen you know and that's that's what I want I want to keep continuing uh to create characters that that people have not yet imagined well i can't wait to see you You do it yeah you will i know you will i know you will oh my gosh you've given us so much today melody but i'm gonna ask a little (laughs) bit more of you as we move into our final segment here dose of drama our titular segment in which we share something that's been on our minds you know i mentioned at the beginning that i have something that i'm feeling thankful for and it involves some film not drama but the drama that we see on screen i am so thankful this year that one of my favorite actors, Jacob Elordi, has been in two feature films, Priscilla and now Saltburn. And we're really getting to see 
he's not just a pretty face. This guy can act. He's amazing. I thought he was great mm. as Elvis and Priscilla. And in Saltburn, which I'm obsessed with, I know it's in limited release now. Thankfully, in New York, you get to see early stuff usually, and it's going wide, I think, right around Thanksgiving, right, Dylan? But mm-hmm. highly recommend it. Go into it going knowing as little as possible. But Jacob I don't know is any so of these. Good. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yes, <laughs> yeah. it's a thrilling, sexy, crazy story about obsession and class and oh my God. So good. Salt burn. Salt burn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the name okay. of this this estate that the the lead character um spends the summer at. But I think oh, I did okay. I saw I saw a trailer for it. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But Jacob Alordi plays this object of of obsession from the uh protagonist and he is just fantastic. I'm obsessed with him. Can I get enough? He's one of GQ's men of the year. So obviously there was an amazing photo shoot, but yeah, obsessed with him. Everybody <laughs> needs to go see Saltburn. Dylan, do you have a dose yes. of drama you want to share? I do. I mentioned last week that I was reading a book and I had yet to finish it because I wasn't sure if I wanted to plug it or not. And I decided I do. It's called The Final Girls Support Group. And it is by Grady Hendricks. It's for horror, thriller fans, anybody like that. And I have to give a shout out to my friend, Lisa who lent it to me. Actually, my friend Lisa, I recommend it to anyone who likes horror, breaking of the fourth wall of these, of like the the cult followings of like serial killers. It's crazy. It's interesting. It's all about like female empowerment at the same time without being heavy handed. So I really, really recommend it. Anyone, the final girls support group. The final um, girls support group. And that's a book yeah. you said? It's a book. Okay. Yeah, it was okay. A breezy, breezy read. Um, mm-hmm. Melody, do you want to take us home with a, a suggestion, a dose of drama, a rant, a rave? Oh my gosh. Anything like that. Well, I just finished Our Flag Means Death on Max, HBO Max. Um, it is <laughs> the way they unpack like emotional healing set in a pirate ship is just. It blows my mind and it's so sweet. I love, I really like, I think Taika Waititi is, has like the golden touch, like anything he does, you know, what we do in the shadows, anything that he's like involved with, I'm just, I am here for. Um, and so, yeah, our flag means death. I just think they're, they're, it's such an incredible ensemble piece. It's really lovely. I, I love the cast. I love the such a kind of wacky world, violent and kind right. of over the top world. But, but I think the, the, the things that they really kind of dig into as far as like finding ourselves and finding love and connecting with our humanity is, so beautiful. <laughs> so yeah, I like that. And then I listen to a lot of audiobooks. And one that mm-hmm. kind of still sticks that has stuck with me for a while is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And it's just like a, this really beautiful story about ups and downs of like a really, really deep friendship set in the world of uh, gaming and game design. And that was really cool. And then also there's another book called All the Right Notes. Oh, I've heard and, of this one. Um, by Dominic Lim. And it is, it's a Filipino queer rom-com. Oh my gosh. And, and it's something that you so rarely see. And it's really just lovely, colorful characters and, and really uh, a beautiful rendition of 
a, a relationship, but also a father-son relationship. And um, my friend Aaron Albano did the did the audio book, and so oh, it was cool. it was so wonderful to hear to hear him soar in that storytelling. So that was oh, he's so talented. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Love it. I mean, he I just he he made a, his Aladdin debut last night. It was supposed oh, really? to be today, but then he he like because he had his put in today, but he got called at the last minute to to jump in last night. So. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. How exciting. Well, I love all these suggestions. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm definitely going to have to look into all of them. Melody, this has been such a treat. I mean, beyond my wildest dreams, like <laughs> the the seamlessness of the way that this all ended up coming together. And then yeah. just you provided us with so much today and it really means a lot. So Connor and I are in your fan club and we are excited to see all the beautiful things that are coming beyond Here Lies Love. Truly. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Here Lies Love. Again, it closes November 26th. And I, I would be remiss to say, you know, how much this has been such a, such an important part of my, my journey as an artist and, and to be able to see it through to this point, because not everyone did. Like we have, we have people in the cast who, who had contributed their hearts and souls to productions in the past who weren't able to do the show on Broadway and, Gosh, I just want to honor everything that they contributed because we would not be here without every single artist that has that has contributed to this piece. You know, even though it is it is a shorter a shorter run than we had intended and had hoped, I am still very proud of of the storytelling and what we what we've been able to do with the show. Ah, that's so beautiful. Sad. You're so well spoken. It's amazing. You you really <laughs> you've got it. You have got it. Thanks. Everyone needs to follow you. You're on Instagram, right? The, like the Ohio State University where we went to college, but at the <laughs> Melody Boutou. And then are you on Twitter, X? Yeah, yeah. I'm on Twitter. I, I'm like, I'm so, <laughs> so rarely on it. I don't even remember my handle. I think it's just, I think it's just Melody Boutou. Yeah, it. it's just Perfect. Melody I had to double check. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone is following you. They've got so to follow us it. at the Drama Podcast. Dylan's at Dylan McDowell and I'm at Connor McDowell. Yes, thank you again, Melody. This was such a such a delight. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, and Connor, I will see you next time. Drama. Drama.